Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Iron Mindset Podcast. We are joined today by Shane Story. He's embarked on a journey from powerlifter to bodybuilder. He has just concluded his competition season. Let's get into it and discuss how Shane went from a 700 kilo total in powerlifting to being a shredded 74 kilo bodybuilder. So based on that, right, so you're talking now, and I suppose it's you've taken that extreme of getting very, very lean. When you like really think all the way back, and you know, I'd imagine a good amount of the people you work with are going to be more general public, you know. Do you find sometimes now, because we were talking a little bit about before how you felt on prep, how that can kind of impacted some of the ways you might have felt or communicated to your patients and things like that. Is it, do you think that it helps, it benefits, or it's a little bit of a, you feel a little bit of a disassociation now when you've got like your average dude who's like, the average male now is quite doughy, you know, quite quite soft in the midsection, you know, but you said like abs have always pretty much being a, a pretty good strong point for you. And I'd imagine that is a lot of what they look for. Do you think there's a, either a little bit of a dissociation or do you think going through this process has helped you to understand more uh, like what they might have to put in place to achieve something similar? I think it's good as a coach to kind of experience the extremes mm-hmm. because if you get to an extreme point, like you obviously get to the point where you've pushed things a little bit too far, but you've also gone through like different types of practices to actually help you get there too. So like while abs have definitely been a strong point for a while, they weren't always a strong point in the sense that like I did have to go through early periods of trying to develop them when I was like in my teens. Mm -hmm. I would have literally have been training abs like every single day. Like, you know, every every night before bed, I'd be doing like sit-ups and like leg raises because that's what I thought girls wanted. So that's what I would do, you know. So I went through the process of being really, really consistent with doing that. And then over time, developing those abs. And then I don't really train them anymore. And they just kind of hang around. Yeah. You know, because like once you have built some level of muscle mass like that, it's kind of even just through low level stimulation, like hang around as such. And especially as you you get lean, like they're going to be a lot more kind of prominent, right? So... I obviously went through that process of being really, really consistent mm-hmm. towards the goal that I wanted. And then obviously if I have guys coming in, they're like, I want abs. It's a case of being like, okay, well, you want abs. There's things that you have to do to achieve them. You're going to have to be really consistent with your ab training. You're going to have to be progressive with your ab training. And you're going to have to be really on point with your diet. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you want to reveal them, like, yeah, you're going to have to get down to low levels of body fat. And if you want, want to actually get to those low levels of body fat, You'll have to make sacrifice along the way. You will have to spend an extended period of time in a calorie deficit. You'll have to say no to social occasions. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't want to say no to social occasions, you'll have to find a way to manage the social occasions while staying true to your goal. You know, um, alongside, like, continue to train. And, yes, going through, like, the kind of more extreme process, like I, I, I did myself, like, that does give me some kind of... It, it allows me to kind of empathize with, with with clients who maybe have, like, who do have kind of similar goals themselves, right. albeit less extreme, you know, because I can kind of share my kind of vantage point of when I, I would struggle, okay? Yeah. Because while I would not struggle now to lose five kilos, that person may struggle to lose five kilos. But the kind of time points of their struggle are going to be similar to my kind of time points of struggle towards like the end of prep. Mm. When like, you know, I don't want to get up and do my steps when I don't want to prep my meals because like we'll all have those kind of same kind of 
bottlenecks to our success and we do still have to find similar ways around them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, w- I would say definitely like I'm, I'm sure over the next few months now we're going to have a lot more kind of takeaways as I start to train more people with kind of similar goals as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I would have always found to have played into my coaching as well. For sure. I actually think it's a good point that naturally you've taken it to an extreme that a much smaller percentage of individuals that go to the gym are probably going to take it, going that, getting that lean for bodybuilding. But I suppose you can take it all the way back, even if it's not quite as laser focused as you were, the steps are fundamentally still the same, you know, as you mentioned, training your abs directly, stick doing your doing your steps, being consistent with your meal prep, being in a uh, calorie deficit for an extended period of time. That's actually a conversation I had with a guy before. Uh, that I was coaching for a little while, he was very much like, I want a six pack, I want a six pack. And I was like, all right. I said, you might want it, but are you willing to put in place the steps necessary to do it? I said, so you go out every Friday and Saturday night. Are you willing to knock one of those nights on the head? Are you willing to mid it? Like, are you willing to take accountability when you're on a night out to say, well, I can't drink as much as I want. I have to cap it here. And because I'm drinking this, I need to, you know, get those calories from somewhere else. And then I can't use the next morning to go, you know, oh, I just want a kebab or I want Domino's or I want whatever, a big fry. And he's like, yeah, probably not really. Like, And I was like, okay. Yeah. I said, and that's fine. You're socializing and having this piece of your life is more important to you than having this, you know? So that actually really ties nicely into something I wanted to ask you. So when you set out to do bodybuilding, all right, did you realize, one, how many shows you would ultimately do? And I believe you were 36 weeks, is that right? Yeah. Uh, in this prep. Did you think it was going to be this long of a season for you when you started down this path? It kind of did and I didn't. So initially, I just wanted to do two Irish shows in September, um, which are two back-to-back weekends. And that was the initial ones that I wanted to do. But both of them, if I did well in them, I could qualify for further shows, right? And now, I was happy to do those shows at the time when I started prep and finish up the season. Mm. I know my girlfriend, who she was also prepping alongside me, she had higher ambitions. So I knew regardless of whether I did well or not at them, I'd probably be having to live a prep lifestyle anyway because she'd be continuing on to prep, but she wanted to continue to compete into November. For sure. Right? So my initial goal was just to do those two shows. And I said, you know what, if I do well at them, I'll continue on do do the qualifiers because like realistically, I'm gonna be traveling anyway because she's gonna be traveling. Mm-hmm. If I'm in if I'm in shape. I may as well do them too if I'm qualified. For sure. You know? And my kind of aim after the shows was to just get straight back into powerlifting. I think I had some absolute ludicrous idea that once I would finish the September shows, I'd like prep for the last ab series in November. W- <laughs> wouldn't have went well. No. <laughs> no. Wouldn't have went well. Um, And then, yeah, so I obviously did well at those shows. So I got to qualify for uh, Worlds. Yeah, WMBF Worlds, which was in LA, which was the la- very last show I did. And then winning the other show meant that I qualified for a UK finals, a European finals. And I didn't do well enough at the European finals to compete at the Natural Olympia, which was the weekend before right. WMBF Worlds. And I also did a, an untested show with the PCA uh, Ireland uh, in the Classic Physique, purely because my girlfriend wanted to do it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go away anyway. For so sure. I may as well step on stage, try out something different, give it up to the guys and the juice, you know? Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if I did just 
if I just did those two September shows, I would have been extremely unsatisfied with the prep itself. Even though I would have went through six months up to that point of prepping, I know I would have felt so unsatisfied because of how quick the actual day goes relative to how long the prep is. But I knew at those shows, I was not in the best condition that I could have been. I was not in the position where I was like, yes, this is me, a peak condition, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would have wanted it to be extended anyway. So I did get the actual opportunity to kind of realize that. And at WMBF Worlds, it was the best I looked all season. And it was the only show bar maybe one or two, where I was actually quite satisfied with how the entire day went. And just like my application of the entire kind of peak week process, the show day process. So yeah, it all kind of paid off in the end. And look, one of the reasons I wanted to do the prep in the extent that I did was because I wanted to go through all the trials and tribulations that one could go through in a prep. I think I made like most mistakes that a first-time competitor could make. Mm -hmm. You know, doing six shows in your first season is pretty extreme. Like, even, like, a lot of, like, the coaches I would have met at WMBF Worlds and, like, you know, my own coaches, they're like, you know, your your schedule is pretty damn ambitious. And, like, you know, you, you continue to kind of improve show to show, but that's just through different things I was learning. I was learning what did work, what didn't work. I was learning how to handle stress, like, you know, in better ways and show days during the peak weeks. Um, And, like, it def definitely all kind of paid off towards the kind of final package. Yeah, well, I mean, I think given where you started, you know, doing shows locally in Ireland and then getting to finish out in LA is pretty awesome. Like getting to travel yeah. for a show is, is pretty cool. Like, But uh, now I would have said, and I think anybody listening that knows, you know, is you've always been really dialed in with training. You're fairly, fairly, you're extremely consistent. You're extremely consistent with food. I've, I remember once before we were sitting next to each other at it, I think it was Abs Pro 2019. You were logging your food and your day record was like 400 and something days in a row food log. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's fucking bananas. But you've always been disciplined with these things, at least in the time I've known you. So I suppose, was there anything in that time that like you mentioned you went through some trials and tribulations? You came into this, I think, the best prepared you could from an external point of view. But talk me through some of it. Like naturally, you stayed in phenomenal condition and got actually in more lean as the as the season went on, which was fucking fantastic. But what did you have to overcome? Like what was in that? Where were the hardships? What like I know you've mentioned your day-to-day -day stuff off camera. You were talking about like low energy, low to motivation, feeling a little less patient than normal. But talk me through some of it from your perspective. Like what was what was the mindset behind it? How did you feel? In terms of the final few weeks or from the starting position? Well, I'd imagine the starting position you were pretty like motivated and amped up yeah. to do it. But like, you know, that that's like 30 plus weeks. That's a long time to be doing that. Like so how like the last couple of weeks, even like so you and I have been working together, you've been helping me with my nutrition. Now I personally haven't haven't noticed it in any negative way, but uh naturally I'm not living in your skin. You did mention, like, for example, when you're doing your check-ins, you were having to like sit on a cushion because you had gotten so lean, yeah. your, your ass would start to hurt. So, like, talk me through some of the firstly the day-to-day -day stuff that maybe you had to contend with, and then also like, was there ever a point mentally where you like I'd say you're fairly mentally robust. Mm. Was there ever a point that you were like, fuck this? Yeah, it's it's funny because like pretty much throughout the majority of the prep, I think things ran pretty smoothly. I think it was actually until we got to Spain. So myself and my girlfriend, we went to Spain for like two months to just kind of like, yep, yeah, prep, work, uh, be in a nice hot country. 
And that's actually kind of when prep, I felt, got a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Purely because of how, like, hot it was. Like, w- w- like heat did not make the prep any more enjoyable because we were still having to go out and doing, like, you know, 15, 20,000 steps a day. Yeah. In wow. the heat. Like, you know, even if you were doing it when we were breaking up our steps and doing them in the morning, it was quite hot. And, like, I was pretty much spending most of the day drenched in sweat, doing my work during the day, drenched, drenched in sweat. While also not eating much, you know, we were in Spain, but we weren't going out to like the marina and like having like steak dinners and stuff like that. We were pretty much just there, just training and eat, and training and working and eating very little. And then even the training aspect became a complete drag as well, because mm. again, it was, ex- it was extremely hot. You know, still following a similar kind of powerlifting program then. And like, you know, squatting and uh, squatting and deadlifting like two t- two times a week pretty heavy at the time still because I was, I was, I, at the time I was still strong mm-hmm. um, and like you know l- lifting in that heat with the actual kind of low energy as well it just made it so, so much more difficult and it actually got a, periodically a, periodically a little bit easier when we did get back to Ireland just with the change of environment for sure but that's kind of when crunch time came because we were kind of like 10 weeks out from uh, our first competition I think or 8 weeks out from our first competition at that time and then, yeah, I suppose the kind of symptoms of prep started to kick in. So low energy day to day was pretty apparent. So one of the good things about prep is it makes you really, really dialed into your routine mm-hmm. because like like you feel a little bit sharper initially, probably something to do with like, you know, an evolutionary kind of adaptation where like you, you want to wake up early to kind of seek food and, you know, get yourself kind of fed for the day. But you know, the closest thing I could come to food early on is uh, two cups of coffee. Yeah. You know, so it does make you really routine in that kind of respect. So like we, we ended up waking up like, you know, 5 a.m., half four. Great for starting work. Great for getting some study done. Uh, and then like, you know, getting some kind of prep tasks done, like, you know, your posing and your steps. But then when it comes to actually doing kind of more kind of cognitively demanding tasks like work, that can start to suffer a little bit because like a lot of my job trade today requires me to like, you know, be assessing clients like spreadsheets and they're checking, uh, they're checking videos, checking forms, their training footage, you know, their nutritional kind of uh, database. Mm-hmm. And alongside that, me recording videos of myself, like giving them actual advice, you know, and that when you have a decent amount of clients can be, quite tough especially when you are like a living meal to meal like you know it's funny this week was the first week in ages where eating was actually a little bit of an inconvenience to me and I actually had to get up and pull myself away from my desk to eat whereas like prior it was like right if I get through like three more check-ins then it's time to eat yeah. you know I could spend as long as I could actually like making the meal eating the meal um, even though it wouldn't, wouldn't last that long whereas like now it's just like an inconvenience again, yeah. you know? Um, so like th- that was probably like one of the kind of the major symptoms was the low energy. And then alongside that, obviously, you know, work's impacted. But then just if you fall behind on any tasks throughout the day, which are related to prep, it really becomes a, a mental kind of battle to actually get them done. Mm. Like if you fall behind the steps, still have to go get them done. That's one of the kind of good things and one of the bad things about prep is that when you step on stage, there's nowhere to hide for the things that you didn't do throughout sure, the entire yeah. process, which is something that I think people could do with a little bit more when it comes to seeking their own goals is 
having something like a deadline, like something that does create some little bit of pressure. Because yep. if you don't have a deadline or if you don't have some kind of end date, it's very easy to be like, I'll, I'll do more of it tomorrow. And then more, and then tomorrow comes and you don't do that extra bit that you said you would. Whereas like, you know, I knew throughout the entire process, which was a really nice little bit of pressure for me. The summation of my acts day to day was going to add up to what I wanted on stage. Mm -hmm. And I was documenting the entire process through my Instagram, through my YouTube. And I wanted to be as like transparent about like my own process as I could. Um, about like, you know, when things were getting tough, when things weren't as tough, when I was falling behind, when I wasn't falling behind. And like, I'd be pretty like proud to say that like, you know, throughout the entire process, I think I really kind of slipped up once, which was during the European show, like mm -hmm. um, the peak week for that. I ended up just like overeating a little bit more than I should have done on my plan. It wasn't anything extre extreme. It wasn't like I was like eating like boxes and boxes of donuts or like, you know, eating like loads of pizza and like that. Like I literally woke up a little bit earlier one morning, had a, a, a can of custard that was in my, <laughs> in my press that I like, I don't know, I had it there for ages and I just got in for it, ate that. I was like 500 calories over my peak week calories for that day. The following day, walked by a bakery when I was in Budapest, got a, got a, a bakery item, put me a little bit over and you know, it was it was very small, but it just it was more so that I wasn't being true to the process that I said I was going to be sticking to. And I was because I wasn't following the plan that caused me like the most kind of like discord yeah. versus anything else. It wasn't the calories, it wasn't the food, it was just like I was not sticking to the plan. And I kind of felt like I was letting myself down, letting my coach down, I was letting people down that like you were following along the process. But that was like that was very much part of the kind of journey and even yeah. talking to other competitors and other people like you know the guys from 3dmj they're like it's very common like you mm -hmm. know it was again it wasn't like you like you know massively binged or anything like that and if anything it added to some kind of information for your peak week maybe you could have done with a little bit more because for it sure. didn't look necessarily worse like the following days um so yeah i, I suppose like yeah I kind of went off on a few tangents there, but that, look, listen, look, you, it's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of value in there. Firstly, how could you? <laughs> yeah, how could you go off your diet by <laughs> probably less than a thousand calories? Uh. You dastardly bastard! But like, I mean, I think that's that is a testament to how you know you've got this regiment, you've got this routine and schedule in place, and there's, a, you know, I think like for example, Instagram is full of like these, you know, cheap two dimensional motivational posts, right? But there's one that I had seen recently that I did like, and it was, it's not necessarily always about goals. It's about routine and discipline. You know what I mean? You're, the goals you ultimately achieve are a product of putting systems in place, putting routines and schedules in place that you build upon and that will eventually act as the stepping stones to get you where you want to be. You mentioned it there yourself. One of the good things about being on the stage was that you had nowhere to hide. And it could be of value to people, people listening who maybe are struggling to achieve what they want to achieve, you can't really complain about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. Yeah. And that's a massive piece. And I think having that in mind, so one of the things I've always loved about powerlifting is that whether you did or you didn't, you were going to compete on this date. So even though the whole process is technically outcome oriented, I found that it made me and everyone I coach much more process oriented in that the day by day, step by step accumulation of volume over a set period of weeks and months, bringing that into your peak, becoming way more dialed in on what you're doing day to day in training, thinking about the bigger picture, what you want to do 
at an ab series, at an IPF, is a much, much better way to train than just arbitrarily. Like, and I'm sure you've probably had it yourself. I know I do. When you have people that haven't competed and they're like, oh yeah, I just, I decided to max out my deadlift today for the lols, you know? So the benefit of knowing there's a day coming up or a, a time to come where you have to put it all together, I think is massively valuable. And I know you mentioned that, uh, you know, being across in Spain and then coming back and like that, having to get, if you miss something in the routine, it gets knocked back. Like you have to go for steps later and things like that. And I think one thing you've kind of mentioned a couple of times already that I'd love to bring up. And it's one thing I think more people could do is you've got a very good support network. You've mentioned Emma, your girlfriend, who's also a coach who also does bodybuilding. And as you mentioned earlier, she, she's quite competitive, quite driven, quite motivated and ambitious. I'd imagine having somebody like you're that close to on the same or parallel path to you is is a massive, massive piece of what helps you be as successful as you are. Yeah, to be honest, like I, I don't think I don't think either of us would have gotten as far into prep if we didn't have each other mm-hmm. during the process. Because like I don't know if I would have done the shows this year if it wasn't for her mm-hmm. having the goal built up over like the last few years. Because like she's been working with a coach in the background for like the last two, three years, like like building her physique so that she'd be ready to prep for this year. And I said that, like, you know, if I if I total 700 at nationals, then I'd do the bodybuilding prep. And I did that, so I, I was true to my word, and I said I would uh, jump into the prep with her. But, like, you know, through the entire process, you know, our schedules were pretty much in sync. We were pretty much waking up at the exact same time. We'd wake up, we'd do our little morning bits, then we'd go for a walk together, get our initial steps done. You know, we'd, do our, we'd link up with our evening steps as well. We'd probably train at the same time most days because, you know, it just meant that we were both getting to the gym then. And like, obviously, you made the actual like shows a lot easier to navigate as well because there was two of us like you know trying to set up the hotel rooms and two of us like you know bringing down the air fryer <laughs> and all the different <laughs> bits to, to to the places that we were staying and you know even you know uh, we were in the states there for like two or three weeks and I was only doing one show and she was doing two shows. And one of those shows was in Las Vegas. And, you know, if both of us weren't on prep there. America is a great place to get fat, you know. For but sure. because both of us were on prep, we were like, like we were like, uh, like kind of tempting ourselves like going towards all these different fast food places or looking up all the different fast food places either. It was really a case of just being like, right, we're both like in our little prep bubble here. We may be in America, but we still adhere to everything similar as we do at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll kind of like while she was prepping for her show that I wasn't doing, you know, I was doing things to make sure I was supporting her throughout that phase. Like, you know, when she's feeling a little bit kind of self-doubt, like, you know, reassuring her that, like, you know, she's in a fantastic position when she wasn't hearing from her coach, like, you know, within due time or whatever like that. So, like, um, having like the having both of us doing it at the same time would have been like was ideal. And we probably will do that going forward because the alternative was going to be. I was going to bulk up towards like the one on fives mm-hmm. in powerlifting, you know? So could you imagine the, what it would be like in the house, her dieting down to God knows what me bulking up yeah. like another 10, 12 kilos. Um, it wouldn't have, it would have caused a lot more kind of discord. Like, of course, like when you're hungry and you're bow hungry, there can be periods of a uh, high emotion, <laughs> uh, like, you know, hangriness, mm-hmm. but they, we never had any kind of like, arguments that were like anything other than I'm a little bit more hungry now don't don't like speak to me like you know that that was pretty much as kind of deep as it went but like 
we were both going through the exact same things. We were both going through the exact same like periods of low energy. Like, you know, she lost her menstrual cycle. I lost my libido. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, I'm delighted you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really want to yeah, talk about la- that. Lost my libido. Like, you know, <laughs> um, so, yeah, both again, like, you know, going through periods of very high hunger. Like, you know, both of us weren't like, getting like fake aways or like you know getting in like low calorie chineses to fit with our macros mm. like we were on it for 36 weeks and because both of us were it made us way easier to support each other while supporting ourselves mm. like that's a massive massive piece and it's actually something i think when mo- uh, me- not most but i'd say when many people do fail a diet phase whether it's their first time trying to lose, you know, a couple of kilos or similarly, they're trying to make weight for a competition as I am now or yourself on a bodybuilding prep without having that support network around you and people that at least can understand and support what you're going through. I think that makes it 10 times more difficult when you don't have that. Like you mentioned, had you stayed in powerlifting during that period, you would have been going up to 105. She would have been dieting down for bodybuilding. It would have been much more, I'd imagine, contentious environment for both of you to live in. I actually have two athletes like this at the moment. The girl in the relationship is trying to cut and the guy is trying to gain. He struggles to gain and she struggles to cut. And naturally, they don't really facilitate each other's goals in so much as when he does decide to eat, he might say, ah, fuck it, let's go out and get something to eat, which completely undermines what she's trying to do. You know what I mean? And then naturally, she's trying to prep a lot of food, which he tends not to do as much of. So there's always this little bit of a struggle and I've I've tried to talk to him about it a lot but again it's basically creating conditions for your own failure by not having that support network so I, I love that's one thing I've loved throughout the whole thing that uh from what from following along with your own story you guys have supported each other the whole way through and uh that was one of the, fu- the funny little thing you had said to me ages ago I know you were talking there earlier on about your check-ins and you know I do three more check-ins then I can eat so it's like giving yourself that little little win throughout the day or that little check-in point. Because I know we were training once last September. You were, it was one of your last sessions in abs and we were squatting. And you were just looking drained. You were just tired, right? Yeah. And I had a really bad stomach virus at the time. So I was fucked as well. And the two of us were just sitting beside each other. And uh, you just turned around and said, training is a time machine to food. Yeah. <laughs> That's so very, funny. Very much is. Yeah, throughout the entire... Uh, not the entire process, but definitely like the last few months, you're really just kind of using anything to kind of get you through to the next meal. Like probably the probably the hardest day of prep was when I was traveling to the States mm-hmm. because like we had a three o'clock flight to Las Vegas and it was a 14 hour travel time. Mm. And we were waking up at like, you know, 5 a.m., right? would usually have our first meal at nine, but we wanted to delay our first meal to later on the day to kind of line our kind of our food schedule with the Las Vegas time to make things a little bit easier. Yeah. And as well, obviously, because we are going to be sitting down for 14 hours, not doing anything other than like in our heads thinking about food, you know, because like there, nothing makes you hungrier than when you're bored and having nothing to do. So... You know, we had to essentially go from 5 a.m. in the morning to like 3 without eating anything. Um, and then once we got onto the plane, it was just a case of like, okay, I'm going to have my uh, meal of chicken and green beans and potatoes mm. for the next five meals uh, over the next 14 hours. <laughs> That's right. You stayed awake the whole time, didn't you, to try and get on the yeah. the Vegas or the, yeah, the, the U.S. 
times. I remember watching that in your story. That must have been tough, man. Yes, I was pretty much awake for like 25 hours. And that's like, yeah. Um, like while like eating, like in the middle of the night, because like, like say for example, for my last meal is like at like seven o'clock in Irish time. That was like 2 a, oh, sorry, yeah. Seven o'clock Las Vegas time was like 2 a.m. Irish time. Right. Which like, you know, when you're, like you're not really designed to like eat during night mm. during the night and that's why like circuit or sorry, I'd say shift workers struggle so much with like you know their actual kind of appetite regulation because sure, like yeah. they're eating at all different times throughout the day whereas like ideally you'd like to kind of keep your food schedule somewhat in sync so like trying to like line everything up seven eight hours behind schedule was quite tough mm. like I, I I've done it before traveling from home from the States and like we have been up very early that morning, done bits all that day, gone to the airport. You're on that long flight home or flight two, whichever. I can't imagine doing that while in that diet phase. So well done. But mm -hmm. I did want to ask, so again, you brought it up, so I'm going to ask about it. At what point during the prep did you did you start to feel the difference in yourself as as a man? Like so, you naturally we are always switched on, right? So I, I won't like ask too much about Emma's bits and pieces because yeah, that's yeah, secondhand yeah. information, you yeah. know. I know you were there for it live, but I'm just saying for yourself. Like, did you have a certain point where like ah, I'm no longer horny? Uh, I I think it was actually like I can remember like this specific body weight it got to where it's just like yeah, not really happening anymore. I think it like got down to about sub 85 I think it was maybe about 84 kilos and it's just like it's like no interest mm. like literally just I'd get to bed I'd be bollocksed I'd read my book and I'd be a, go, go, go to sleep and I'd say yeah since then haven't had any erections potentially which mm. is yeah a little bit depressing isn't it <laughs> it's uh, a long time I, I'm sure they'll come back I'm sure they will come back. It just yeah. I just need a little bit more meat in my bones. For sure. You yeah. You you've only been out of the diet now. How long? Like two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. yeah. Like that's so you've got a bit of time for your like I guess your hormones need to re-regulate and your body needs to realize it's not dying slowly, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like uh I still have a few kilos to gain. I think like my coach wants me to get up to like eighty five by Christmas. Mm. I'm like eighty one, like mid eighty one to the moment. So look, challenge accepted. Uh, be pretty easy over the Christmas weeks, right? So yeah, that's kind of the, the aim, and by then I should be somewhat recovered, and like you know, maybe we'll have some uh, movement down below by then. Hopefully you know, so. Yeah. Early Christmas present. <laughs> was it was it mentally challenging when it started to happen, or was it kind of alright because the person you're with was going through something similar? Did you just kind of accept that it was part of the process? I, I kind of knew it was coming. Like right. it, it's a it's a it's a very common thing to happen to guys during prep especially yeah. like when when body fat levels go like that low like your body's not in a position to like reproduce yeah so like why would you expect that and i mean like at that point right like literally like when i say you don't give a shit like you just don't give a shit like you're more concerned about eating and just getting through the day yeah. than anything else like you know that like like having sex is just something that you're just like, oh my God, I have to do this. Like this is like something that's going to make me expend energy. Like your body is like, <laughs> like so conserve that, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd rather keep that for my training the next, the next day. Yeah, but like, I mean, on a serious note, I suppose it speaks to that like more 
you know, animalistic and primal side of what a prolonged period of fat loss actually is. And yeah. that is quite challenging to the body. And I think sometimes people try to, through no fault of their own, they try to oversimplify the process that it is because it's more than, like on a practical basis, it is move more or less, essentially. But on a much bigger scale, the social impact it can have, the physiological impact it can have. It, there's a lot that tends to happen. And now, look, you're you're fine. You're, you were quite prepared. You knew what you were getting yourself into. And like we mentioned, it was great that you had a partner that was going through something similar. Because I'd imagine, had she not been, that would have been incredibly challenging. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh, that's it, it's, it's great that it worked out exactly as it did. But uh, I know then you were talk you were talking about this actually on Instagram and it was a, you were replying to a question I believe I can't remember who it was from if it was an anonymous one or not, but you were asked about you know is it worth all the social sacrifice you have to make to do this thing and you actually gave a very good answer is that like if you look at the broadest picture of your life like a six month period of time where you're hyper focused on one thing that may cost you a couple of social occasions it's probably worth it and your friends will probably be quite understanding of the fact that this is something that, yeah, you might miss a couple of nights out, you might miss a birthday here or there, but, you know, you've got, a, you're potentially going to live a very, very long time, you know, with many more erections to come. So, yeah. the likelihood is that this acute period of time, as you mentioned prior, you're probably not going to do this type of prep again for at least another two years. So, I suppose it all is worth it in the wash because you've gained what you've gained, the knowledge, the experience. You've got all these kick-ass pictures to look back at of you at your naked ass out on Instagram. But, uh, you know, even on, like, on a serious note, you've taken yourself from one extreme to the other, you know, being muscular and strong to being extremely lean and uh, like very, very vascular. So I suppose it stands to you as a coach and as a lesson to people that you will have to go through these acute periods of potentially discomfort, potentially, you know, some social sacrifice, but it delays gratification to this bigger thing at the end. So I did, the whole way through where you just focused on that, that look, it will all, there is a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I will eventually be, you know, putting weight back on my hormone regulation, energy will return, I'll be in a better mood, my lifestyle yeah. would, will get back to more in line of what I'm used to. I suppose it's more so that, like, it's just another kind of challenge to undertake. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's it's a hobby. It's, like, not a job. Like, mm. I have not really gained anything from doing the bodybuilding prep. Like, I've get like, from a monetary perspective, you know, the kind of way, like, yeah. and it hasn't, hasn't, like, necessarily directly improved my business at the moment, like, if anything, it really kind of just took a lot from me. Like, mm. it took a lot of time. It took a lot of money. Like, I spent, like, thousands over, like, the last few months. Um, Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how expensive prepping is, like, <laughs> until you actually do it. Um, So, it did take a lot, a lot from me. And I had to put a lot of effort into it. But I know that it's something that, for everything that it took from me, I would do it again. Mm. You know, because it was... So it, it was a fun thing to do. Like, you know, it's not everybody's idea of fun, but like, I enjoyed it. I enjoy waking up and having these kind of targets I, that I feel like I need to hit. You know, these arbitrary targets that are made up in my head that I need to hit because it gives me some kind of purpose and some kind of sense of achievement on a day-to-day -day basis. It like helps improve my mental health. Like, you know, up to a point, it improves my physical health. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure if I got my blood done at the very end of my powerlifting uh, journey, to the start, to like midpoint of like my prep, I've probably in a much better kind of like health position, uh, potentially, you know, and it did give me 
a huge boost in kind of drive like day to day of like just getting getting shit done even within my own business you know so um god i'm after losing my train of thought here it's it's actually it's all right because it brings me to a point right so for you even though you you do recognize that this is obviously an incredibly difficult thing you've done but you say this is a form of fun for you Mm. right so because you are as you mentioned quite routine quite regimented like you have your set goals throughout the day to help keep you that like it basically drives your day-to-day ambition your goals and keeps you happy as you said it it takes care of your mental health and things like that have you always been this way has that always been like a thing for you since because i know you started training quite young i know you started you were like uh in school i believe you played rugby am i right you played rugby and you got into the gym because I know you were in, like, for example, Platinum Gym in Balbriggan for a good long time. Yeah. Uh, and you were very much into the mirror selfie scene when it was a thing, you know? Still so, am. Oh, good man. Yeah, you can't bait it. Listen, whatever gets yeah. you the likes on Instagram, yeah. you know? But uh, have you always been this regimented or at least in the time you've been in the gym, has it always been, a, I got to do this, 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 and this, and in the long run, this has yielded this result? No. Uh, I have not been. And... It probably only really changed when I was in like my final few years of college because like early early on in college, like like I'm sure a lot of uh, young bros, you know, pretty loose. Like, you know, I was going out multiple times a week, you know, mm-hmm. drinking, uh, doing other naughty, naughty things and, you know, partying a lot. And like, you know, gym, I was, I was doing that. It was definitely in the background, but it was not regimented. It was not structured. It was, it was not disciplined. Mm-hmm. If anything, I was very ill-disciplined. Like, you know, I'd be going to bed at like, you know, 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. It's like racking up black weeks like there's no tomorrow. So a black week is a week of uh, college where you don't go. And like there are periods <laughs> of time where I was literally living across the road from the university and just not going in, you know. So like I had a lot of periods of like ill-discipline, but it was, like, I was always kind of interested in like, you know, getting in shape. But, mm-hmm. you know, for all my uh all my good intentions of showing up to the gym irregularly two to three times a week and skipping leg days and, you know, having erratic nutrition and drinking, uh, I wasn't I wasn't quite achieving it. So I was like, what's the missing thing here? So like I started to look into the whole kind of physique development thing a little bit more and like, you know, I started to be a little bit more consistent with going to the gym, you know, just going like, you know, four times a week, still doing like absolutely ridiculous stuff. Like I still like not doing not doing a warm up like you know ramping up weights when I was training but I'd do 30 minutes of foam rolling prior to getting under the bar which obviously didn't work uh, and you know doing things like that like you know getting in like 200 grams of protein albeit from like peanuts and stuff like that uh, yeah. so like you know <laughs> like just making kind of foolish deci- foolish uh, errors along the way until I kind of discovered some people in pockets of the internet who seemed to have a bit more of a kind of a pretty simplistic approach i mean like you know once i f- first discovered like you know if it fits your macros and like tracking calories i was like wow this actually seems so much easier than anything else that i've ever heard of before like because i try right. tried to cut out carbohydrates and like you know at the time i did not eat fruits or vegetables at all uh and when i heard cut out carbohydrates i just heard just eat chicken all day. Right. And like, you know, that's not necessarily uh, something that you could sustain for any longer than like two days. So when I found out about like, you know, if it's macros, like, you know, tracking calories, how simple that could be. And then even how like, you know, how basic your training ha- like could be and like about progression schemes, like how to add load 
like each week or like when to add load each week to your training uh, when to make changes when not to make changes like a lot of this stuff that like now to me is like so so basic and like it is like elementary stuff when you are getting into the kind of space mm-hmm. but it is stuff that like makes such a profound difference especially when you start to be a little bit more consistent with it and it was really when I was like when I was coming towards the end of college that I did kind of realize that like if I went through kind of periods of like you know being a little bit in control of like my impulses that I could get pretty decent results because mm-hmm. like I remember I was on a I was on my Erasmus and that was the year where I actually discovered I didn't want to do anything with my with my business degree I wanted to pursue something in fitness that like I went through periods of like having to actually like really prioritize like things like like fi- like uh, finances and then as well you know my efforts in like studies as well as like the gym mm-hmm. um and then I kind of level up my consistency and then from there I from developing a lot of the things that I learned from developing the consistency with training and like I you was know, seeing improvements there I applied it to the likes of like my college work and I went from have like a 2-2 average where like you know if you go through college and get like a 2-2 your d- degree is pretty much worthless uh, or so to say and like I leveled up to a 2-1 after putting through putting into like application the principles I learned from resistance training and being consistent there to my studies so like that's when I kind of realized that like this kind of strength training thing this pursuit of like physique development like while it does have like the tangible changes in like how you look and mm-hmm. like you know maybe how your mental health goes it can have like carry over it carries over to other aspects in your life too um and just it was really a, ca- a case of like doing that more often you know and kind of once i've seen like the all the kind of things that came alongside that consistency so like i obviously developed a decent enough physique at the time and the like I was strong enough at the time and like I became educated enough as well through actually kind of pursuing the kind of same level of consistency and then I've seen other kind of benefits that came alongside it like people obviously start to notice people ask you for advice and like people are people are going to ask people are going to ask advice to the people who are in the positions that they want to be in they're not going to ask it to the person who's like you know consistently like you know uh, sacking off on their goals every single week like nobody's mm-hmm. asking them how to be successful people are going to ask how to be successful to people who are successful in the de- endeavors that they want for sure you know and i started to see people come to me for that and that's obviously why i got into like you know personal training and coaching as well because i felt as if i had something to offer people mm. that, they, that they didn't have well that's it you're not going to take you know financial advice from the financial advisor who's 30k in debt you know yeah so and that this is, I think, one of the most understated pieces of going to the gym, getting in shape, is like that it lends that level of discipline to other facets of your life. But it also, it's social proof. You know, if you're in shape, it does tell you something about that person. It doesn't tell you everything about that person. They could be an absolute shithead. But like, I can, you can tell when somebody 
you know, has, as we mentioned earlier on, visible abs or, you know, big arms or, you know, they've, if it's a guy, they have a big chest or, or a girl if they have a big chest, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it tells you that this person has receipts for the efforts that they put in in one facet of their life. So the likelihood is they're putting that in other, pe other places as well. And speaking of your, like you, you were mentioned, the early half of your college life, you know, you were doing a lot of partying and things like that. I can't remember if it was, if you mentioned it online and this is, now I'm going to sound like an absolute creep that I like watch everything you do. I can't remember if we had a conversation about it or if it was online, but you mentioned that there was essentially this point where you came to this road where you were like, well, I can keep going down because I know you were DJing for a little while. That's pretty cool. I know uh, you and AJ talked a good bit about that. Yeah. And then you had this other one where you could say, well, I can branch off down here and get more into the club scene or I can really take this gym stuff and being disciplined and all that a bit more seriously. Naturally, you went this way, but you did mention to me, we talked before once after training, you said you wouldn't give even if it meant extra kilos on the bar at the time you wouldn't have given up these experiences because they were you know a, a core memory in your young adult life yeah. so and i suppose it makes you now that you're talking about it, and you do talk about it openly it makes you more relatable you know you are contrary to popular belief you are actually human you know what i mean you're not some weird automaton that doesn't have any emotion that just you know is is quite stoic but uh if we, so, and then I think anyone that follows you online, as I mentioned before, has seen that picture of you and you had the glasses and the long yeah, hair, yeah. right? How did you get from like that kid? What was it? What was the big motivation from that guy to, you know, stage lean, 700 kilo total and powerlifting? What was it along the way that made you say, was there a point? What was the big motivation other than, you know, girls like lads with abs? Um, oh, I suppose from, in, from inception, I suppose like I... <clears throat> I always played sports, right? Like, so I probably started playing sports when I was like six, I think. Like, my mom got me into like uh, peewee soccer or something like that, you know? Deadly. Um, And then like started playing badminton and like throughout like secondary school, you know, got into, uh, sorry, it, primary school, towards the end of primary school, got into like skateboarding and I was hanging out with a load of lads, like, you know, all had long hair, a little bit older than me, um, causing mischief and stuff like that. And then like got into secondary school and naturally enough, Somebody who has long hair coming into like a boarding school uh, and glasses, you know, you're a very easy person to like be picked on. For sure. You know, uh, but like little did they know up to that point, I was like playing Gaelic, uh, playing rugby and like, you know, I was, I was pretty decent at them. So while I had long hair, it wasn't like a little wimp. You know, uh, so if anybody like, did try to like cause any issues with me, it's like, you want some, <laughs> you know, uh, even though I'm like not confrontational at all anymore. Uh, but like, you know, you, you kind of feel like you have something to prove. And like then from there, it was just a case of, like, okay, well, now coming into like, you know, 14, 15, I want to get a little bit kind of stronger for like rugby because, you know, I don't want to get pushed around, nor, nor do I want to get pushed around in school. So I start doing things like push ups and stuff like that, like, you know, every other night. Start doing those sit-ups that I was talking about earlier. And, you know, just from there, it's just a case of being like, this is kind of fun. Like, you know, you, sure, like yeah. when you're younger, you see like the, the change is really, really quick. So you're like, damn, I'm going to do more of this stuff. So once we got access to the to the school gym, as uh, in there like pretty much every other day, probably doing things like absolutely like uh, arseways. But, you know, I was, I was in there doing them. And I think like if when you're that young, like it doesn't matter if you're following like a training program, yeah. if you're just going in there fucking training hard. You're gonna get, you're gonna get bigger. You know, things are good. Things are gonna happen. And I remember there was um, a guy he used to work in the school. He wasn't like a teacher. He was like a kind of like a groundskeeper in a sense, <laughs> I suppose. And like he was like uh, big into the gym, and like he'd like 
come to the gym, not in like a creepy way, right? Like not like some kind of pervert. <laughs> but like he he he'd see like us training and he like he'd give us like tips. And I remember him saying to like me and another guy, like, here like the like I'll bring you to your training session one day. And like he showed us how to like actually train hard. Mm-hmm. And like from there and on, it was just a case of being like, right, here's like Mr. Pryor's like uh like training program. We're just going to do this. And we got like pretty big for like, you know, six years now. Obviously nothing compared to like what six years are like now. Like, yeah. um, but like at the time for like, you know, access limited six years in pretty decent shape. And then again, I suppose like, yeah, go to college, things fall off a little bit. By the way, society start to party a little bit more. Yeah. But then like, obviously that kind of like itch inside me was still there yeah. like through the years. So that's kind of why I am the way I am now. Uh, so I suppose like, you know, like, getting into the kind of bodybuilding side and the powerlifting side, like naturally enough, like during college, like all my kind of team sports fell by the wayside because number one, uh, you get a job and you can't, you know, work or justify giving up like, you know, money uh, that you could use for socializing mm-hmm. to play a team sport at the weekend. Then like, you know, I wasn't driving at the time. So like, you know, traveling up and down from like, you know, college to Drada to play rugby, like, you know, twice per week as well as like giving up a, uh, a money day at the weekends to play a match, you know, it wasn't really kind of feasible. So like all team sports dropped out, but I still was training away, but I did have some kind of competitive itches that like, you know, were unscratched. And like, you know, I think like team sports are great to get involved in as like a young person because like, you know, you develop a lot of like skills that are kind of transferable into like everyday living, Mm -hmm. you know, being a team player, <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. uh, being one of them, like uh, like feeling like you have to contribute to, you know, a, a greater good and kind of place yourself, um, place your own kind of needs on, on the back, um, you know, showing up on time mm-hmm. for, for your team, that kind of thing. So like they're real kind of real world uh, transferable skills from like playing team sports, but then also like just committing to a sport in general has you know, other kind of greater benefits. So like, you know, yourself, you enter into, into, into a competition and it gives you a bit more of a kind of drive towards working towards your own goals. It makes it become a little bit more kind of organized with your time in regards to like, yeah, how, how you organize your day-to-day tasks to allow you to fit in necessary obligatory tasks as well as like, you know, things that are just going to be geared towards your little hobby, mm. you know? So getting into powerlifting uh, was something, is either kind of a dilemma between getting into powerlifting or bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And the reason I got into powerlifting initially was because like, and this is still true today, I don't like the subjectivity in, in bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Like I love the process of bodybuilding. Like I love the process of getting in shape. Like I loved everything about like the last 36 weeks, barred the show weeks and the show day they were just kind of, they they were just something I kind of had to do. Yeah. You know, that was just like, like the way I, I, I described like the bodybuilding show was like, this is you getting up just like, this is something I've been working on to have a look at it. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's so many kind of different kind of variables to play in today of like, you know, obviously you do realize that, oh shit, I'm actually going to be comparing myself against other people up here today. People are going to be doing this like a lot longer than I am. People are going to be better than I am. Uh, you know, you're, you are really exposed but then as well, there's like all of the negative sides of a subjective sport come into it too. Like, you know, things that come into it are like, you know, how long somebody has been competing. You know, that is going to, that can influence judges' decisions. Yeah. If 
any of the judging panel are coaching anybody that's on stage that day or friends with any of the coaches that are coaching people on stage that day. Has that person been on stage already that day? Um, you, you know, there's lots of different things to play into, like kind of what could it, it potentially impact placings, right? Yeah. And like, despite how hard you worked, you could have the best package on stage, but for whatever reason, you know, you get overlooked. Okay, so like that's just one aspect of, of bodybuilding that I never really liked. And I still, I still don't like to say, whereas like powerlifting is objective. Like nobody is going to argue with whether I pick that bar up and put it down mm-hmm. once I had like, you know, ticked all the boxes from like, you know, the lifting criteria for that lift. For sure. Yeah. Right. And that's just something that kind of spread to me. And then it was also a case that like, well, I don't necessarily have to give up a huge portion of my time or my year towards that or be as restrictive. I could continue living life as a normal human while pursuing this goal mm-hmm. like I could continue going out for food with my friends I could continue having nights out with my friends like maybe up to like four weeks before a meet or something like that like I think even my very first meet the month prior I was at a festival for like three days yeah you know uh, like which you know probably not the most conventional way to peak but it's the way I peaked nonetheless you still did pretty good in your first game yeah, yeah exactly so like it wasn't something that I had to like you know like kind of curate my entire life around mm-hmm. um, and it was very process driven like mm-hmm. you know like again like kind of similar to bodybuilding like powerlifting meets are great but the process of like you know the training blocks like that's yeah. so much more fun um, because yeah generally I mean around the kind of powerlifting meet you, know, you have the week prior to the competition you have the week after the few weeks prior as well where you're not feeling great if you have a little bit of niggles um, like you know, they're kind of generally an unenjoyable process, or part of the process for me at least. Mm. Um, so I did want to get into something that was was competitive like that, and then it also kind of gave me some kind of element of I get to work towards a real kind of tangible outcome that can give me some kind of indicator as to how my progress is going, like like, like the total, you know, um, because I think. Like, unless you have those things that can kind of give you some kind of clear indication of this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing quite well, this is what you're not doing quite well, and let's have, have a review in like six months' time. Mm. Uh, I think like w- without those kind of things, it's very hard to be really, really consistent with yeah. training long term. And then obviously as well, you know, joining abs was like literally like such a pivotal moment in like, you know, my training journey. Because prior to that, I was like the big man in the gym, you know, yeah. uh, like you know, everybody watching me squat, uh, you know, especially like being a PT in fly fit, you know, you get to train at times when you can train at any time you want. So you train when everybody's there and like, you know, lift your whatever uh, squat and like, you know, have everybody be like, oh my God. Um, but then you go down to a gym like abs and everybody's like warming up yeah. with your max weights. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> back it, into my box. It is. It's very eye-opening. Like, but uh, a lot of that, is firstly, it's a great story, like especially rolling all the way back. Your parents are naturally very supportive of you being in a sporting environment or a competitive environment, which I think is phenomenal for development of young people, you know? And I think sometimes you can always, not always tell, but I think it is telling, you know, the types of people that have not been in those hard environments before, where there are winners and there are losers. And that's just life. You know what I mean? That is just life in general. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It just is, you know? Uh, Raquel, when we had her on, we were talking a lot about powerlifting is actually a great sport but for people, especially adults who have never 
done sports before who've never been in a competitive environment because it's quite a low skill ceiling, but does have a tangible outcome. And I think one of the best things, like you mentioned it there, which you're with competing in, in bodybuilding, like it is so, you know, it's, it can, there's a lot, as much as impartial as the judges want to be, there's naturally going to be, yeah. be a bit of bias and it can always be open to interpretation. So the show itself is almost a formality at the end of the process. Like you've done all the work, the work's done, you look phenomenal. Getting up on stage is almost just a victory lap. No matter where you place, you've done the work and this is the accumulation of it. So whether or not you get first place or eighth place, kind of doesn't matter because you still look better than you've ever looked before. Do you know? Same with yeah. powerlifting. Doesn't matter if you podium or not because it's still potentially the best performance you've ever put on. Like, uh, you, your last competition was IPF Nationals and you that was your best performance in powerlifting. What a high note to go out on, you know? But uh, throughout this entire process, and this is one of the things I wanted to ask, you mentioned you had that uh, groundskeeper who immediately I imagined groundskeeper Willie from <laughs> The Simpsons when you mentioned him. So I know he's probably nothing like that, but yeah. that's... He, he was English. Oh, well, he was, was Scottish. Close, close enough. Yeah. But... When along this journey, I know now you'll speak to the importance of it specifically with your bodybuilding journey. You worked very closely with 3DMJ. I know for powerlifting, you had uh, Davidas Barisas, who was looking after your programming. And then the guys from Triage were helping you with nutrition, who you also work with now. We'll get into shortly. But uh, when along the way did you say, I need a coach? Ooh, la well, last year I started working with Brian. Um, it was probably April last year. And it was, it was more so a case that I, like I I wanted to learn. Like I I put myself through like diets prior to that and like had good success, but I did want to learn a bit more as a coach and kind of see how people I respected in the industry how they worked as well. You know, so hiring Brian was like a really good decision for for, for me because I really respect Brian. Mm -hmm. Like he's a nutritionist that I look up to quite a bit. Now, I'm grateful to call him my colleague as well. Uh, but like, you know, true, like seeing how he did his check-ins and like, even like, like I would consider myself to be a relatively straightforward client because like, if you tell me to do something, I, I will do it. I'll do, I'll do it as best as I can. Mm -hmm. um, so like, he didn't really have a huge amount of like work cut out for him other than like, you know, adjust my macros and tell me to keep doing a good job. And he could have just like, like replied to my emails and just like, you know, that was great. Do that again. But like every single week you found something that was like notable to pop, to like take away from my check-in sheet and like kind of try to form some kind of like relationship with me that was like deeper than that, mm -hmm. right? Which is definitely like something that like I would have taken a lot of value from because like it, it made the kind of check-in well a lot more enjoyable for me as a client. But then obviously as a coach, it was like, okay, well, like I, I definitely could do paying a little bit more attention to all other aspects of like, you know, check-in sheets, like as opposed to just like the end outcomes, you know, kind of like, mm -hmm. so kind of learning uh, about that kind of aspect there. But also, you know, I suppose I had finished what was ooh, maybe 18, 19, 20 months of like weight gain. And I think because I, even though I had done prior diets myself, I was a little bit out of practice, you know, and I think initially when I was like thinking about like what type of calorie drop I'd make, I was definitely going to be way more conservative than uh, I should have been. So like having him call the shots just made things a lot easier for me. Yeah. And it made it easier from me as a coach perspective too, because it, like managing my own nutrition was one less thing I needed to do. Because if I add myself to my client list, then that makes more work for me. Yep. And as well, it's 
one of the points of having a coach is it takes you out of your own head and it allows you to make, to, it allows you to just execute and not like make any foolish, deci- uh, foolish decisions. Mm. Um, so like I worked with Brian for up until I pretty much started this prep. So up until, yeah, from April to March, so 11 months really. And he coached me through, like, you know, that initial diet phase that I did where I got from, like, 98 to 88, mm-hmm. uh, which was up until one of the ABS Pro weekends, like, in August that year or something like that. And then um, I stuck, stuck along with him until we got to nationals. So he brought me then from, like, that kind of lean 88 standpoint up to, like, a kind of leanish 94 kilo and had me kind of all set for nationals. And again, went stuck with him for as long as I could because again, when you're working with a coach, if you're working with a coach for three months, like say for example, my my minimum sign up is like three months, and I think that's pretty standard for a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. Despite being a minimum sign up of three months, you you don't really get much with it if you don't engage with it either. Yeah, you know, so you have to really really engage with coaching to get much out from it. Like obviously, you could be showing up and taking the boxes, but to actually kind of get a lot from it, you do have to like be asking asking questions. You do have to go through kind of different types of uh, goals like a few times. Like say, for example, we went through, I think, three different types of uh, weight cuts, you know, and that gave gave me a lot of experience with running them myself as well as helping clients with them in the future. Because mm-hmm. again, I think experiential knowledge is like, like definitely like... <laughs> on par if not a little bit better than just like, you know, textbook knowledge. For sure. Um, Because, you know, you get to put yourself through again. Like say, for example, you, you're going to be doing a water cut or a car cut uh, next week or yeah. something like that. And I'm going to be bringing <laughs> you through that process. And, but I've been through the process multiple, multiple times mm. myself. So I know what to expect. I know what to expect from, you know, how you will feel doing it. But I also know what to expect from like how you should actually implement it as well. You know, so, um, so stuck with, stuck with him. And then, when it came to prep, um, I politely uh, told Brian that he was getting the boot and then hired 3DMJ. The reason I did that is because like Brian, as amazing of a, of a nutritionist he is, he doesn't coach bodybuilders and mm. he's not a specialist in it and he won't tell you that he is either. So I went to who I uh, think are the cream of the crop when it comes to natural bodybuilding coaches and that's 3DMJ. Fully uh, agree. Fully yeah. agree. Yeah. So I got onto them. And uh, I got signed Brad, uh, Brad Loomis. So the way 3DMJ work is because they work as like a team together, you don't get to pick your coach mm-hmm. because they all work under the same kind of methods. Yes. And they all have like, uh, they have coaching calls with each other like every week to discuss like, you know, and troubleshoot issues that they have with their clients. Like say even like when Brad was having an issue trying to pinpoint what my predicted stage weight would be, he had asked like, you know, uh, Jeff Alberts and Alberto Nunez and Eric Helms, like, you know, what they thought my kind of predicted stage rate would be. And they all came to like a kind of consensus and that's what we kind of aim towards, mm-hmm. you know? So that was kind of the benefit of working with them, of working with a team of professionals who have a huge amount of experience within the niche that I was actually trying to get into. And then by working with them, I obviously gained a huge amount of like, tacit knowledge within natural bodybuilding but also just as an athlete and somebody who's actually going through the process themselves I can tell you right now if I was coaching myself through that prep Mm -hmm. I would not have lasted the 36 weeks and I would have made 
for all the mistakes I made, I would have made 10 times more. Yep. You know, because those last few weeks, like you lose all objectivity for yourself. Like even yesterday, right? I'm two weeks post-show and I was like going through um, videos, like trying to make make a reel of like, you know, 2019 versus 20, uh, 2022, like, you know, last diet to this diet. And like there is a video I took of uh, me the night before Worlds. And I remember looking at the video at the time and be like, oh, I don't look great there. Like I don't really look like lean at all. Like, and I was watching it like yesterday. I was like, how did I not take as lean? How did I not take as <laughs> yeah. lean there? Like that is ridiculous, you know? Um, and then as well, like even, you know, on the show days. So like in, in bodybuilding, there's like these like kind of uh, terms like flat, full spilled yeah. that you're trying to look for in a, in a physique, like when it's, when it's really lean to have his best presentation on stage. And it's, it, it, it takes a good kind of coaching eye to kind of assess this. And then one thing that we kind of discovered that like my physique across all those three kind of stages was pretty stable. Now to me, if I was trying to implement that myself, I would have, I wouldn't have known unless I was like extremely spilled. So when you're extremely spilled, it would just be a case of like, everything looks like really blurry and watery. So like, if you're looking at abs, you wouldn't really be able to see any kind of definition there. Whereas like, you know, kind of uh, like more kind of full abs, they look like really, really well separated. Flat abs, they would look, they still look lean, but they wouldn't look as kind of like mm. separated uh, as such, right? Um, so like if I was trying to coach myself through that, I wouldn't have been able to kind of assess those type of things. Whereas like even on the day, on my last show day, like I had Eric Helms like looking after me for the day, which was fucking so cool. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. And like he was like, you know, like assess my physique throughout the day, like, you know, taking pictures and like he was like keeping me in the loop, you know, like, you know, you look good, you look good, you look good. Um, you're like, you know, like tell me when to pump up and stuff like that. Whereas like, if I was just doing it myself, I wouldn't have had a clue what to, like how to assess myself, you know? So well, it really, do, do you know yeah. what's interesting you just mentioned there? Just, well, firstly, having Eric Helms was amazing. I'm sure a few people listening might know Eric Helms. Uh, he's done a bit of powerlifting, a bit of body, but a, bit, a little bit of everything. He's on the Iron Culture podcast, uh, but very, very well-known person within the field. But, just to their professionalism, I wanted to say before we, we before I let you go on, he knew a lot about you before he you even engaged. And I know you put this up online that he was speaking to you about what was going to be happening. I'm sure that was quite a big moment to realize like these guys were actually quite invested in what you were about to do, you know? Yeah, like it, it, it's funny because like, so like Brad couldn't make it down uh, that weekend, but like the rest of the 3DMJ crew were there. And it was just funny because like I, I met them like the day before the show and uh, like they knew like like everything about me like they, like I was talking to Alberto Nunez and like I was mentioning about my uh, like my salt intake and he's like oh yeah man you're you're the guy who was like eat like 15 16 grams a day it's like yeah like how the fuck do you know that yeah. that's <laughs> you know? but that's incredible that they were that's in, how involved they are with the process because you would imagine a group as as large and as well known globally as they are i'd imagine it's hard to keep the personal element of it. Yeah. But they obviously, even if it was just to come down and lend the support, they obviously had done their homework. They obviously were called from their coaching calls, who you were, what you were doing, where you were going and how you got there, which is a massive piece of why they're probably as successful as they are. Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, like the, the coaching from from the outside probably like what it would seem like relatively simplistic, but like they obviously are extremely kind of detailed in like everything that they do and like yeah even just like the the level of care like I mean the fact that you know Eric did not necessarily have to kind of like handle me for the day and even like I was like specifically I, I told him like look you're gonna have to keep me out of my head for the day because mm -hmm. 
you know, I I need that uh, today. And he could have decided to just sit sit in the crowd and watch the show like the rest of his 3D MJ buddies. But he sat backstage with me for like the most of the day mm. and like, you know, did did help me. Like, you know, let me know when I was gonna be on, when I when I need to start pumping up. Mm. When I need to have my rice cakes and honey, uh, like you know, Delicious. so yeah, <laughs> I know. Do you know what though? I think it's it's great to hear you speak about it because I would quite I would consider you quite stoic, quite low neuroticism. You seem fairly on the level for most things, but it does go to show that the benefit of having a coach in your corner can pull you out of your own head and your own emotions. Because at any moment in the day, you can have these highs, you can have these lows, you can make fairly stupid decisions if you go by just what's in your own head. This is one of the reasons I hired you to help me with my nutrition for coming into, for, for those watching at home, I am now competing in the Irish Powerlifting Federation. It, this is done by weight class, not done by dot score, which is the formula used in the ab series, which I've primarily competed in. And I wanted to compete under 93. So Shane is the man I've gotten on board. But like that, I think because I've freed up that mental bandwidth and you're handling all these bits and pieces for me, it makes the whole process like the, probably the easiest I've ever been in in terms of dying, the least amount of stress. Uh, it's been qu quite simplistic for me and like that. So thank you very much so far anyway. No but also it shows that even for us as guys that are athletes who've been around the game for a long time, you can have those moments where you know, like you said, you had taken this video and you didn't even think you looked that good or looked that lean. Whereas now, in hindsight, you can see you looked phenomenal. So in the moment, you can make these potentially poor decisions. I know had I tried to do the cut myself, I probably would have cut my calories too low initially. And then by trusting what you had given me actually helped quite a bit. So uh, I think that speaks volumes to the importance of having a good, knowledgeable coach who not only knows what they're doing, but can help regulate how you get on as a person, like how you regulate your highs and lows or ups and downs or your, whether it's your training, your nutrition or whatever it might be. Uh, let me ask you about that then a little bit. You've been around a good while now. You were you used to do one-on-one -on -one personal training at FlyFit in CHQ. You've since gone fully online and are, I believe you're taking on clients again now as well. So as a coach and as somebody who provides that service, how do you go about like handing these things. So I'd imagine, look, right, listen, I'm going to say it. I'm probably phenomenal to work with because I just I will do whatever the hell you tell me to, to the best of my ability. Like you say, I'm not going to have these like incredibly like emotional days about food, but I'm sure there are people who do. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the growing experiences as a coach. It's you're going to have people who are the easiest people in the world to coach who, you know, they always action and implement to the best of their ability what you say and the results show. And it, it's there the people we love posting online and the people we like, oh, I love doing this check-in because it's a good feeling. But then there's those people that are difficult, not because there's anything negative about them or they're bad, but it's it's they struggle to implement their action because maybe they've never done it before personality, predisposition. How have you dealt with that in your time being, especially now that you've gone online? Because I'd imagine that presents a whole other level of challenge. Yeah. That was a very long question, I realize. Uh, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I suppose like every, everybody is different. Like now, obviously like, you know, the less, um, the less barriers to implementation somebody has, like the easier my job is. Mm -hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, like, you know, that's not necessarily my job. My job is not just to be like, yeah, like, you know, follow these macros and, uh, check in next week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a case of like, you know, you're a coach because you are there to offer solutions to people people's problems and obviously as well to offer support for people to like make the changes that they need to make. And some people are very straightforward in how to make changes and some people 
take a little bit more time. And it's just a case of like, I mean, like you do have to be patient uh, to be a coach. You do have to be like empathetic. Uh, but at the same time, you do need to be like objective and you do need to be a little bit blunt at times too, you know? So like one thing of probably for better or for worse over like the course of like the last few months, I've like started to like almost... Uh, employ some kind of rule when it comes to how I will tolerate people's, you know, level of support that they need, right? So, mm. uh, like, generally I'll give people, like, around kind of kind of three kind of strikes, you know? So, like, first two, first two times that they're kind of struggling with something, like, you know, you'll op- offer the empathetic advice, you'll offer the... You won't, won't necessarily offer the solutions outright because I think, for the most part, people are going to be... They're the harbors of their own solutions. They know what they need to do, but they need to voice it into like existence. You know, yeah. they know exactly what they need to be doing. They just need to kind of get around to doing it. And sometimes kind of coming up with that and just kind of saying it, verbalizing it, writing it down, that could be all they need to kind of start getting new wheels in motion, you know? And then like the second time could just be a case of like saying, okay, like, you know, you may have come up with these solutions yourself. Like, you know, here are my own solutions. All right. And kind of see what, what kind of like, a compromise you can come to get together. But like, you know, after kind of three times when somebody is like maybe not necessarily acting on their own intentions or taking up your solutions, it is a kind of case of being like, okay, come on now. Mm-hmm. You maybe need to take this a little bit more seriously because I, I do think, you know, we as coaches, we, it, it's difficult. We, we play the game of like either being too empathetic and too like understanding and too soft and then the person a few months down the line is like you're too soft for me and I did get the results mm. uh, and then also being too much of a hard ass and coming across as a prick you know so you do have to have that kind of like step by step process by which you go from being the understanding empathetic coach to the person who actually gives the person what they need because sometimes being the hard ass is what the person needs mm-hmm. at that at that time and then the other times I need the more kind of empathetic understanding. And I'll, I'll always try to be the most understanding and empathetic coach as I can be. But sometimes I do need to be that little bit of a hard ass, mm. even though it comes really unnatural to me. Like, you know, I want to tell clients they're great all the time. I mm. want to, like, you know, I want them to be coming up with their own solutions. I want to be giving them solutions. I want them to be implementing. But you know yourself, if like, you know, weeks, weeks on weeks on weeks, dealing with the same issues, you know, something has to change. Yes. And I think that's the difficult, that you're right, that is the difficult balance to strike with coaching. I have actually noticed that, that a lot of the time, the way if there is something raised, like even between you and me during check-ins, like a lot of it is just holding up a mirror and saying, what do you think? You know? Yeah. And I'll probably like go, yeah, I should probably do this. And you're like, sounds great. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that, and that's exactly what I wanted out of the experience. I wanted to have somebody, like even just that, even if it's just an echo chamber, just for me to say, is this right? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, and that get that to me is that I get the value out of it for what I want. But I suppose that is the difficulty or the, that is the terrain we need to navigate in our roles because in an interpersonal role, it's about how do you serve the person in front of you? Because like that, I like blunt, honest, transparent, whereas other people might need that little bit of TLC and they will yeah. get the result. And then other people, frankly, just need to kick up the hole. And that can be a difficult part with coaching, especially depending on how receptive the person is. Sometimes it is somebody is just genuinely struggling due to lack of knowledge, lack of experience, or they're trying to make a like quite a massive change to let's say the relationship with food. 
they're you know maybe they suffer with a lot of like gym anxiety or whatever it might be like i these are things i have trouble resonating with personally yeah. but I would try to understand because I don't contend with it. I'll actually give you an interesting example of a, as a weird little form of anxiety I've recently realized be it from going down to abs more often now that I'm, I'm coaching out of there a lot more. People get like music anxiety. If I'm like, do you want to try on your tunes? They'd be like, oh yeah. no, 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 not me. You know what I mean? Like don't make me put on my Celine Dion and Mariah Carey. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, no, no one cares. I just, something to block out the white noise. <laughs> I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. But uh like it's it's mad the things that are what get people. You know what I mean? That like yeah. that that are the things they worry about. There's another guy that makes a podcast here named Stephen Tierney from STPT, and he's mentioned it before himself on his own podcast and on his own page online. He owns his own gym. He trains in Flyfoot as well. But if he goes to a new gym, he gets like new gym anxiety. Like I don't yeah. know where anything is. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I don't understand that personally, but I understand that people do experience it. So that can be a tricky thing with coaching. But uh, I do also agree that sometimes people need to accept that change and being uncomfortable and having to adapt is part of what this is. And I think nowadays, especially in the last couple of years, people have a very, like, there's almost like a celebration of mediocrity. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I really hate I, it. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't mind if people are struck, like, you know, I don't care if you're, you know, 40 kilos overweight and you're just coming to walk on the treadmill, you're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah, play to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care if you only track one meal a day, you're still trying something. It's a start point. It's something to start from. But saying the idea of like, well, I'm fine the way I am and, you know, fuck you for telling me to improve or implying that, but it's now it's gotten to the point by, by you just being in shape, you are putting pressure on me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I also recognize the celebration of, of mediocrity. And it's it's funny because generally the people who are like celebrating the mediocrity are people who got to their positions that they're in from not being like like extreme in one form or another. Mm -hmm. You know, it's generally like these people who have like a couple of hundred thousand followers on Instagram. And they're like, oh, you don't need to train. Like, you know, find a way you are. And they're like in like good shape already. Like, you know, and like, then somebody's like, well, you know, I do want to get in shape. I was like, oh, you don't have to that. Mm -hmm. You know, just love the way you are. It's like, you don't have to love the way you are. You, yeah. you can, you can like have a good, like kind of value of you as a person, but still want to change, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and it doesn't make you a bad person for, do, for doing so. Yeah. If, if anything, like, you know, this could be you expressing, again, like things that you want to express, like uh, just through an implementation perspective versus like, you know, because you want to do it for Vanny, mm -hmm. you know, can I like pursuing something that makes you feel like you have something that you're achieving every single day? Absolutely. You know? I completely agree. And like that, it's whether it's like that, as you mentioned, whether it's to look better, move better, be stronger, or just in general, have better health outcomes, better health metrics. It doesn't mean that you, it doesn't change the value in the person you are right now. You know what I mean? You can still be a valuable member of society whether you ever step foot in a gym or not. People can still love you and like you and you'd be a great person. But it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with pursuing these things, you know? And it's almost like it's it's looked upon as if it's strictly a narcissistic thing, you know, yeah. which I think is outrageous. Although, like I try to explain, I say this to clients, say like the gym is artificial hardship. And that's the point. You have to voluntarily put yourself through hardship for good outcomes in anything. Like going to college for people is probably a bit of a pain in the arse because you're in that point of your life where the most important thing to you is probably building social circles, social relationships and being out with your friends and explore, exploring those options. Whereas, you know, you've got then society telling you, but you need to be in this room with all these dozens of other people listening to this guy and then spend hours and hours and hours writing on a laptop or whatever it might be. 
So it's like that. You're delaying the gratification of what you want now for the bigger outcome at the end, which I suppose we do in training an awful lot as well. Yeah. But uh, it's it's definitely, it's one of the contentious points, I think, with being a coach. It's helping people to understand that while you don't see the results now, it will come if you put these steps in place. It's a, I have an, a thing I like to say to people is, as flawed as a logic as it is, I say, Going to the gym and dieting is not like playing the lottery. You won't do it and get nothing out of it, potentially. Like, you will see results. Yeah. Now, I can't guarantee that your results are exactly the picture you have in your head. Like, I, I sometimes see it as a bit of a red flag when people show me, I, they're like, I want this girl's physique or yeah. I want this guy's physique. It's like, ah, oh, it's not really how this works. I can't chop their head off and stick it on you, you know? But uh, if they can understand that it might be six, nine, 12 months before they see a massive difference it's still going to be worth it in the end because the person they are at the end of the process will obviously be fitter and healthier and all that. But like you've learned yourself through your younger years, you'll be more regimented, more disciplined and understand you can add, use this fat, use this skill and other facets of your life to achieve greatness in whatever it is you're aiming for. Like you did with your YouTube series that I kept meaning to bring up and forgot. Like that's something you've been crazy consistent with. And it's actually very good. It's a very good thing for people to see. You went from being like a strength athlete in powerlifting into your now towards the end of your bodybuilding uh, season. So yeah. it, that's a great example of how you have, like not only like you recorded so much footage and you've uploaded all these videos, but it also is kind of like a very good piece to demonstrate that you started the work here and then the payoff was way down the line in terms of getting up on those stages and putting forward your best physique. Yeah, I mean like there's 56 videos between the initial video to the last kind of stage day, mm. you know so that's a long that's a long time considering like I was doing them kind of weekly but also like bi-weekly bi at a time so like obviously it just wasn't 56 week of a prep that would be absolutely hell mm. um, but like you know it was it was a long time none, nonetheless of trying to upload like something every every week um, and I'm very glad I did because yes like one thing I really really don't like is like when somebody kind of stumbles upon my page now from seeing like a reel or seeing me jacked, right? Um, jacked at like 77 kilos. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, they're just like, I want to get into bodybuilding. I'm like, slow down there. Like, I want you to see my backstory. So like, obviously I don't have like the last like 13, 14, 15 years like recorded for YouTube. Yeah. But like, here's me at the very start of my process. And up to that point, I'd been living pretty regimented lifestyle for like, you know, a few years before I decided to do this. Have you done the same? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, if like, I'm not saying you have to wait like, you know, 10, 15 years to do like a, a bodybuilding prep. Like you do not, but you do have to definitely be demonstrating to yourself that you can like live somewhat like a bodybuilder because it's it would make something like a prep so easy. Like a prep is, it's not a diet. It's like, you know, it's it's an experience, man. Uh, but <laughs> it's a way like, of life, ultimately. Yeah, it's, but, it's a way of life. But like, like you, like, if I had not built up like the prerequisite, like kind of nutritional kind of skills up to this point, if I had not kind of curated my kind of life circle and life circumstances to allow for a prep, mm. like I could be sitting here, like, you know, stressing out about like, you know, uh, my body image because I feel I look fat today or like I'm going to go home and start binging on all the things that are in my fridge. Mm. Um, like, you know, with a severe eating disorder because prep fucked me up because that, does happen like you know people jump into preps and like they end up like through either 
poor implementation or it could be poor coaching as well, you know, they end up with like these kind of things that are like lingering around in the after effects of it, like like severe body image uh, disorders, like severe like eating disorders, um, like very poor relationship with exercise and like nutrition in general. Like, you know, some people will do a bodybuilding prep and they will never want to train again. They'll never want to like, you know, be tracking macros or anything like that again because of like the kind of trauma they went through to get to the position they were in mm. you know because like some people's preps are like no like my prep was very smooth like you know I had like no no mental episodes at all throughout the entire thing it was, it, it was fine because I knew we got what to expect I again everything in my life was set up in a way to facilitate having a good, good prep but that's not the case for everybody like imagine if we were in a different kind of scenario where I didn't have a good, a good support network. I had like family who didn't understand it at all. I had a girlfriend who was like nagging me at the whole time to get done with this bodybuilding shite. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I like I was putting myself through a ringer with training. Like, you know, I trained six yep. days a week, doing like high intensity cardio, like multiple times per week, eating a thousand calories per day, which like, like a lot of people go through things like this. Like it's not uncommon for like, you know, some girls be doing like an hour and a half to two hours of cardio a day alongside weight training, alongside eating like, you know, literally about a thousand calories a day to get on stage for a plastic trophy. Yep. You know, and like then at the end of it, they have all these issues that kind of linger around. Mm. Right. So like, you know, you, you I wanted to kind of illustrate through like all the kind of posts I put on Instagram through that series that like, you know, this is the process that you can take to get there. And it can, it's just a, t- a thing that it takes a long time to get there. But you don't necessarily need to like step on stage like next year. You don't necessarily need to do it like this year either. Mm-hmm. You know, it it can be a long-term goal because at the end of the day, the, it's the process of kind of getting there versus the actual kind of stepping on stage, which is the more kind of fruitful part of the entire experience. And unfortunately, like building muscle, like it takes a long time, you know? Yeah. And like I've, I've had like uh, a lot of guys like recently kind of reach out to me like interested in like competing and I come onto their page and they're like less than 21 years old right Right. and like you know as if you're looking to compete in natural bodybuilding like unless you're an absolute genetic phenom like if you're a sub 21 you just don't have enough muscle like I'm sorry like uh, like you're going to be like you know maybe 50 kilos on stage you know yeah like and then as well you're going to be missing out on a lot of like formative years of your youth, but also time where you could have spent growing. Absolutely. You know, which is like, like that's kind of why you should probably get into something like powerlifting first. Yeah. You know, focus on all the good shit that like, you know, training can give you. Then big juicy PBs, lifting heavy shit. Like I think it's so much more impressive when I see like one of the young juniors down in abs who's like squatting 300 kilos or like deadlifting 300 kilos then the guy who's the same age with a six-pack. Yeah. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. fucking easy to get a six-pack. Like, I'm sorry to all the people out there who are struggling to get one. But, like, you know, if you do try, if you build up the nutritional adequacy, or if you just get coaching, mm-hmm. you'll be able to get a six-pack. But to build yourself up to a 300-kilo deadlift, that is, like, elite. You know, people are staring at you if you can deadlift 300 kilos. Yeah, those, uh, the juniors, definitely make you feel very inadequate. <laughs> yeah. there's Well, there's a few good points of value in there. One is, as, right. Will you now be renaming the series Bodybuilder to Powerlifter? <laughs> um, I don't know what 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 I'm going to title it because, like, obviously, like the the transformation is complete. Yeah. The transition. I I actually had a a few kind of uh, 
lulled myself. Like I didn't say it to anybody, but I was like thinking like, if I like title any of these, like the transition, the transition, they're yeah. probably going to think it's like me going from like man yeah. to female or something. Yeah, you're getting your Mickey chops. Well, at least then you'll be more competitive in powerlifting if you do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, at the moment, I probably have the testosterone profile of a female. So, Well, like, fair, fair. Well, the other few points is as well, with everything you've said, I think you have absolutely done it as correctly as you could. You spent a long time building this massive base. Your foundation is phenomenal. You were, as you mentioned, you focused more on performance. You got jacked to bits. You got super strong. And then you went into bodybuilding, which sounds like the best way to do it. We talk about support networks. Naturally, you've got Emma. Your parents obviously sounded highly supportive and understanding given that they brought you into sports and things as a, as a young kid. And then, you know, you mentioned joining abs, powerlifting, having a, a good group of strong people to work with and, you know, push you to get better. And then I know you work closely with, and you mentioned working with Brian from Triage Method. So it sounds like you've always supported yourself with a good group of people and you do realize that that's a, that is a great position to be in, which has facilitated, as you mentioned, this very smooth prep, which is great to hear. And you can find that on Shane's YouTube channel if you want to check yeah. out the entire series. That's it. But the last real point I wanted to touch off with you, and this is kind of the crux of it, because you did have such a successful prep, right? In gym culture right now, there is a massive, at least from what I can see, like it, there's this like uh, kind of, I call it like the Diet Coke version of bodybuilding prep where people are doing like photo shoot preps and all that now. And in your time doing this and interact with more people in that sphere. You mentioned you were, like mentally, you were pretty good. Like you didn't have this massive mental breakdown or anything like that. Yeah. But there definitely seems to be people that come out the worst for wear from engaging this. Maybe they weren't the most mentally robust people going in or they were attaching too much of their self-worth to the outcome. But uh, do you, have you seen that? Have you recognized that? That this is an element of bodybuilding that can be like harmful or at least from a social media standpoint. You know, people are looking at these incredible physiques and probably doing like things like that, like an hour and a half of cardio, six, seven times a week, trying to live off a thousand calories, 1200 calories and potentially cost themselves not only physical help, which again, they can recoup with help, but like the mental aspect of it is huge. Like it could potentially be quite damaging in the long term. Like what are your experiences that? What have you seen at least secondhand? So like while I didn't necessarily like experience it during prep, like my, like, like this this time this time is my first prep but like in prior diets I have ex like experienced that like right so mm -hmm. like I think that's a like a benefit of this not being my first diet right like I've done lots of diets up to this point and like through all those diets I did have to go through the, pre the point of like getting really lean looking really good and then going through the process of bulking back up again and not seeing myself look as lean mm -hmm. you know and then having to deal with those kind of times being like oh like I'm going from like you know being this lean person who have gained this like identity of being like the lean friend or like the jacked friend the shredded friend and now I'm no longer in that body like you know am I being a little bit of an imposter like you know you meet up with friends who haven't seen in a long time. They're like, oh, show us your abs like you know I'm like, I don't actually have abs anymore like I remember one, one time it was really <laughs> um, it, it was something that always stuck me and it just it was um, I, I was at this like ev like this conference or something like that right and I was with, with one of my friends and like you know he's doing like really well like he like had like set up a few businesses and stuff like that and we bumped into this guy that like I used to work with doing like events promotions like he's like one of the kind of big bosses and like he bumped into my friend and he's like oh like 
like, you know, how are you getting on? Like, you know, like saying, oh, that's all doing really, really well. Introduce my friend to his friend. And he's like, oh, and this is Shane. He has great abs. And I was just like, is that literally all you can think about to say about me, you know? God damn. Um, and like, like comments like that obviously reinforced to kind of like, oh, maybe I should stay lean all the time, mm. you know? Whereas like, definitely like the pursuit of like strength and powerlifting definitely kind of shifted the focus from my physique towards something that was a little bit more kind of sustainable because mm -hmm. yeah if if your kind of big focus is like being like stage lean all the time or being shredded all the time it is a really really stressful way to kind of live your life because you're micromanaging everything like i can tell you like obviously like you know i'm, I'm not like i don't look like how i looked like two weeks ago on stage right um i'm not quite that lean anymore and that is completely okay with me i know from time spent in the game that that is not where my best performance is mm -hmm. going to be and training is something that I get a huge source of enjoyment from like I get way more enjoyment from my training than I do looking good for a picture or mm -hmm. being really lean like at the end of the day like we live in Ireland like most people wear clothes all the time all the time <laughs> you know uh, like nobody can tell if you're if you're shredded like if like in fact if you see me two weeks ago when I was like the leanest I'd ever been you probably would not even like be like, oh, you lift? Like, you know, because I, I look so small, you know? Um, so it's like, oh, like, yeah, you look great, like naked, but like, you know, you're pretty much that's pretty much all you're good for, you know? You can't reproduce. You can't lift that and heavy. Uh, and you're just hungry and miserable all the time, you know? So Well, um, I mean, no one was looking for an OnlyFans from you when you were a powerlifter, you know? Yeah, so. Here, look, people <laughs> like, there's BBW accounts. There could be like, you know, big chain accounts. So, you fair, know, fair. Um, but yeah, I I mean, like I definitely experienced that in the past. And I also experienced, um, you know, the kind of side effects of dieting from an eating perspective and the transition or the kind of negative outcomes that can happen there. Like I definitely had like periods where like I was like, binge eating, not to like the extent that it's like binge eating disorder or anything like that. But like, I definitely went through times where like, like, you know, if I, if I went a calorie over my intake, I was like taking advantage of that and be like, well, you know, I, I slashed one tire, so I may as well just like <laughs> slash the rest and, and burn the car down as well. So like, you know, I went through periods of, you know, a, like very r reckless kind of binge eating as well as a, as a consequence of like over dieting and trying to spend too long in diets and like, you know, after a weekend of like binge eating, I'm like, right, well, I need to do another few weeks of dieting to kind of correct that process. And then obviously the binge restrict cycle would would happen mm -hmm. inevitably. But like the more, I suppose, I recovered from that phase and put more body fat on and, you know, stopped focusing as much on my body composition when I realized it didn't really matter. And, you know, nobody, again, <laughs> apart from that one guy, uh, <laughs> like none of my friends like really give a shit if I've had, like my friends uh, care if I'm, like they're at the session with them for sure. or something like that, you know, or like people care from in the gym training with them. They don't necessarily care uh, what I look like. And like, to be honest, if you just think about like, if you're listening to this, if you think about from your perspective, how often you've cared about like your, you know, your friend's body composition or your family member's body composition to the point that like, it would actually make, make you kind of like think any more or less of them. Like how often do you think that? Like probably never. Like I've never thought about like my friends, like abs, order shredded glutes mm. you know <laughs> so probably probably a good uh, a good thing that that's yeah. not the first thing that pops into your mind when you think you're mates yeah but uh 
Shane, we've been going for about an hour and a half, so I think we could we've load more we could have talked about. But uh, actually, you know what? I will ask you one last thing. Cool. And then you then I'll let you go about your day. The last thing I want to ask you about, right? So you have now seen both sides. You've seen you've done a, you were in powerlifting for about three years. Now you spent all this time bodybuilding. You've put together this phenomenal package of being able to demonstrate extreme strength and extreme uh, like levels of leanness. And I think everybody in powerlifting would always have considered you quite lean. And I do think there is good value in powerlifting culture that encourages people that you know not all weight gain is necessarily bad, but. One thing I've said, I had, I've always admired about you as an athlete is that you managed to stay quite lean and quite had, kept a really good base of work, volume, and capacity no matter what level you were competing at in powerlifting. And it's one thing I think so many powerlifters lack. So I know, for example, you were always regimented with food. You still made sure to stay jacked and juicy, hit your arms a couple of times a week. You know, the important stuff. Of and uh, no one no one cares how big... No, you can't see how big someone's deadlift is wearing a t-shirt, you know what I'm saying? So you that's, got that, that's it, man. that extra medium. So, uh, like, is that something that as you now start to return back into, like, more of a performance-based training regime, you will, as much as you want to get strong again, you will maintain that good level of aesthetic, good level of cardiovascular base, good level of performance, a good engine? Yeah, I mean, like, for, for me, like, at the... Like, especially as I have aged and I'm aging, you know, at the, at the core of it, like comes like, like health, you know? Yes. And like, if you are like, you can't build like, you know, your best level of strength or your best physique or like just live your best life. If you are not first living in a way that is going to be healthy, first mm -hmm. of all, you know, like obviously you can like at certain points within the sport, you can push it to the extreme of just being like, you know, if you want to be the biggest, strongest person ever, like maybe, it's worthwhile for you and for your goals to veer a little bit further from the kind of health mm -hmm. side of the spectrum. But, you know, <laughs> I think for most people, like keeping that as a kind of base and then letting everything else kind of stem from that is going to be pretty pivotal. So like, you know, I would not necessarily say because like now I'm transitioning away from like, like, bodybuilding like as in like the competition prep right now because mm -hmm. I will be doing it in a few years time so I, I, I don't want to stray too far away from like you know what my potential competition stage weight would be like you know putting on 40 kilos now for me that makes my next prep really really difficult and like I'm I'm not going to be gaining 10 kilos of pure muscle mass in the next two years either right it's like pretty pretty impo pretty impossible as a natural um especially at this age in my, in my kind of training journey mm -hmm. um so <laughs> So, like, you know, keeping my weight somewhat stable and kind of paying attention to basic tenets of health, you know, making sure I'm eating a decent amount of fruit and veg per day, decent amount of fiber, you know, doing a decent amount of physical activity outside of my training, you know, keeping my stress low, like adding in some cardio here and there to keep my rest and heart rate somewhere in a kind of good range, you know, keeping my blood pressure under check. It's definitely something that I want to be a little bit more diligent with this time around because, I did did have like high blood pressure when I was finishing my last uh, powerlifting season because I was not looking after my heart as much, which over time, you know, that is going to be something that could potentially kill me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want to live a long, healthful life because, you know, what happens when you live a long, healthful life? You, you still get to train. You probably can still get stronger. You can still get more jacked, mm -hmm. you know, and they, that sounds pretty good to me. You know, so those are things I'll keep up, you know, keeping a high level of protein intake, you know, having a decent meal structure, like per day, like trying my best not to binge drink on alcohol 
uh, not smoking, that kind of stuff. So like th- those are kind of basic kind of tenets of like health that I would kind of abide by without necessarily being extremely like rigid and anal about them because like, look, I've went through enough uh, rigidity and <laughs> analism mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last few months <laughs> um, to uh, not necessarily need to do that right now. So like, yeah, that's kind of, um, would that answer your question? It absolutely does. Yeah, for sure. Because... I think it's like that. You've gotten lessons from both disciplines. And I think, I suppose you've seen yourself that ultimately the best thing to aim for is better health outcomes in the long run. You know, so as much as like I would agree, I don't think it's worth it for most people in powerlifting to gain excessive amounts of weight, maybe for extra 10 kilos on the bar. If it means they're potentially like doing themselves risk of like cardiovascular disease, heart heart disease whatever it might be like I would completely agree it's actually something I myself especially same as I get older I'm in my 30s like I'm very diligent on like I check my I check my blood pressure I check my resting heart rate and uh, I am now more since working with you I've, as I've mentioned many times while the idea was to get into a weight class I'm enjoying being leaner uh, I definitely know the health benefits of like things like uh having a smaller waistline, especially when you take into account BMI. I know some people disregard that, but you get you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I can see the value in it. And like that, I don't necessarily think it's worth sacrificing long-term health outcomes for a sport that not many people are that invested in anyway. And even if, even if it meant an extra 10 kilos on the bar, the likelihood is, like you and I, I would say are pretty good at powerlifting you know what I mean given how we have done in competitions but I don't know if we're ever going to be world class Yeah. so I don't know if it's worth those types of sacrifices and conversely with bodybuilding like I know you had to sacrifice some things in the short term but these are things that are much easier to come back from you know so yeah that absolutely does answer the question so Shane we'll leave it there thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure I actually think there's a couple of points I still wanted to talk about but I'm not going to keep you here all day and Dan wants to go home as well All right. so thanks very much for coming on and we'll have you on again soon Yeah. thank you very much for having me have a good one gang thank you so much for joining us Shane is quite the stoic and stable person who has definitely overcome some very interesting trials and tribulations. Be very interested to see how he gets on. Make sure you are following over at Instagram at Iron PT for more.